You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We are at the start of a brand new preaching series. And uh, I would like to read a key scripture to you today to help us set the tone. So I'm gonna invite you to do what you are probably suspecting I'm going to do, which is to stand back up to your feet. By the way, where's Ethan? Not Kia. Ethan. Not Tyrrell. He's back from Rwanda. He's been in school. There he is. Hey, welcome back, buddy. You've been in school. How was it? Learned lots? Brain increased? Just welcome Ethan back, everybody. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1, is our scripture for today's message. And it says these words Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Just at the end of verse one there, it says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. This series is called The Pathway. The Pathway and part one today is actually a combination of part one and two. It is a four part series, but we've only got two Sundays in Central Manchester to deliver it. So you're getting a double whammy this afternoon. Two sermons in one in the time that we have on the clock. All right, I think we should pray for that reason alone. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come around your word. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would continue the transformational work that you've started in us so that we can be changed by you. We thank you for the changing power, the transformational power of your presence. So thank you that already in this service, we've encountered you in a a powerful way. And I pray that that would continue as we look at your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can take your seats. Now, if you have primary school age children, you will know that this is a special season in the year called School Sports Day Season. Okay, not too many excited about that. If you have children who are secondary school age, then you will remember when they were at at Sports Day. Okay, one or two, one or two. If you are a human, then you will possibly remember participating in Sports Day when you were a child. There's the room. All right. Well, I want to show you quite possibly one of the cutest videos ever. Granted, I am slightly biased. This is my daughter Willow when she was four at Sports Day. Just to point out, she is the athlete in the white cap. uh, And you'll just see how she does in this race. Check it out. 
And there she was at the end. What I love about that video is that she's got absolutely no idea that it's a race or that there's like something else to achieve other than just running around. Starts off in one lane, sort of, you know, chicanes her way across a few lanes. And then it's just sort of like, oh, this is fun. And then she sees her mum and she's like, yeah, I'm running. But she doesn't know or understand, of course, that she's in a race. And as Pastor Neil talked about last week, you know, she probably got a sticker for participation as uh, along with everyone else. But I showed you that video because the verse that we read says that there is a race marked out for us. And I want to wake up inside of you, the athlete, the, the runner, so that you understand we are in a race. There's more to being a Christian than just being out for a stroll. There is a course, a pathway set out for us and according to that verse, all of the Old Testament fathers, the New Testament revolutionaries, the church history pioneers and generations of Christians before you who are right now in heaven stood to their feet doing exactly like Willow's mum Zoe was doing on that video is they are screaming, go! Willow's like, this is good, what are we doing? We're kind of having a fun time. Zoe's like, no, 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 go. Head to, like, follow everybody else. There's a whole race of people that you can now follow because you're at the back. Go, 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 go. And that is what that verse says to me is that there's a course ahead of us. Now, don't think, don't think athletics track like we're competing with each other, going round in circles. I want you to imagine or picture again, the, the goal is eternity. And all of us as a church family, we're running together towards the goal. We're following the pathway, the course that God has set. And there's times when Joel is at the front of the pack and he's running and he's leading the charge and we're in the slipstream, but then it will change and then it will be me at the front or someone else and we're all in this race or we're competing, uh, we're uh, on the pathway where the course has been set for us and that is exactly what we're doing. We've been working in our garden recently and I'm sure you've had this experience at some point where you lift up like a, a, a stone or a rock or a big slab and underneath it, it's just like teeming with life. There's bugs and worms and insects, just all just scurrying around. It's like a whole world of life underneath this lid. And that's what it should be like when people lift the lid on the church, when they lift the lid on your family as a, a group of disciples, as a group of Christians, when they lift the lid on your life, it's not just chilling. It's not just, you know, thank you God that I got a ticket to heaven. It's like, Moving. The goal of a healthy church is that people will be moving along the path that God has got for you. The problem is, is that we possibly unintentionally, but definitely I've seen this again and again, even in my own life, we treat salvation as the finish line when really it's the starter's pistol. It's not, now there is a sense of like, exhale. You know, we talk about that moment of coming home, don't we? When you find 
you know, like faith in God and, and you become a Christian, it's kind of like, oh, there is an exhale moment, but there, that was never like the point. Basically, when you become a Christian, it is ready, steady, go to the life that God has for you. We know that the other side of eternity, we're going to party and we're going to dance and we're going to sing and we're going to praise. But actually, that is, we don't have to wait till then for that to happen. Like now we should be moving. We should be alive. When someone lifts the lid on the church, they're like, whoa, I didn't realise there was movement in that thing. The Bible tells us again and again and again, like Jesus' final words to the disciples, therefore go and make disciples. Philippians 2.12 says, work out your salvation, not just become a Christian and then stop. 1 Peter 2 verse 2 says, so that you may grow up in your salvation. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, make every effort to add to your faith. We've got to run the race. We've got to fight the fight. We've got to walk the line. We've got to move. And none of that sounds passive to me. So what is this pathway? What is this course that God has set for us so that we can know that we're doing and living and serving and giving and breathing and being all that God's called us to be? Well, we're going to go right the way back to Exodus. We know that the story of the, well, the story of God told through this journey of the children of Israel is like a picture for us in 2023 of like what the church is like, this group of people that God chose to sort of demonstrate His glory and, and, um, and represent Him to the world around them. That's like the church. And so when we read about the children of Israel, the decisions they made, the mistakes they made, the way God spoke to them, the way they responded, we can actually learn from that so that we are doing the same. And so this is God speaking through Moses to the children of Israel. And in these verses, just two verses, I wanna propose to you is not just our series, The Pathway, but actually what we as a church have sort of identified as a pathway for disciples to follow. You'll see what I mean in a moment. It says this, therefore say to the Israelites, so God speaking to Moses, say to them, I am the Lord. And number one, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. They were their slave masters. Number two, I will free you from being slaves to them. And number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Number four, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. The pathway there described in those two verses looks like this. Number one, no God. I will bring you out. Number two, find freedom. I will free you. Number three, discover purpose. I will redeem you. In other words, take you back to what you were intentionally designed to be. And number four, make a difference. I will take you as my own people so that together we can do something in the world. That's the pathway. And so for four weeks in all the other campuses, but because of the high intelligence in this campus, we're just doing it in two weeks, we're gonna go through the pathway. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. And just, I didn't tell the first service this, just so you know, this is like a forerunner 
for our discipleship program that we're continuing to roll out starting from September. You'll see what that means come the end of the summer. So we're going to look at knowing God, okay? The first step on this journey, the first part of this pathway, knowing God. It says in verse 6, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God firstly wants to bring you out and so that you can know Him, so that you can know Him. He wants to take you from where you were to where you belong. The Bible uses this incredible language like He wants to take you from death to life. He wants to take you from being lost to being found. He wants to take you from being blind to seeing. There is for every person in this room a BC before Christ. I don't know what your BC was like, but you do and God does. But then also for those of you who are Christians, there has been a C moment. So we go from BC before Christ to C encountering the love of God through this son Jesus on the cross. And then we move into what the Bible calls multiple times in the New Testament in Christ. We go from before Christ We encounter God and then we move into in Christ. If you're grateful for that journey in your life, would you just celebrate for a moment that you're not where you should be, but you're definitely not where you were because God picked you up and He brought you out of something to put you into something. You are in Christ. The transformation is breathtaking. It's not just from bad to good. It's from dead to alive. It's not just a little bit better. It's revolutionary, the work that God is doing in you. The Bible puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, before Christ, Christ... In Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Let me tell you five things about knowing God. Five things. Now you could be sat here having walked with God for many years. You might be here and you've only recently had that C moment, that BC to C to I. You've only recently encountered God. Or maybe you're just here with questions about faith and you don't even know if you believe in God. Well, let me tell you five things. Number one, knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. You can know about someone without really knowing them. With social media, that's really easy, isn't it? You follow someone, brackets, stalk them, close brackets. It feels as though like you know them, but like more fool you when you get backstage passes or whatever it is and you meet that person who you've been following and they're like, I don't know you. Why are you trying to hug me? Why are you trying, why are you trying to like laugh at jokes? At like... When I was younger, in the 80s and 90s, we didn't have social media, we had teenage magazines. And they would have profile, artist profiles in the magazines. You could turn to a page and it would tell you all about the person. You would know how tall they were. You would know what their favourite food is. You would know what their favourite movie is. But that didn't mean you knew them. It meant you knew about them. 
If you ask me about Zoe, I will be able to tell you now about her. But when I first met her, I didn't know her. I knew who she was. I saw her. But what's happened over the last 24 years that we've been married and the three years before that we were going out with each other and the years before that we were mates is that I've started, only just started to scratch the surface of getting to know this wonderful human being. You can know about someone, but it's not the same as knowing God. You can know or believe that God exists. You can go to church. You can be surrounded by like God's stuff, but that doesn't mean that you know Him. Second thing about knowing God is that you can know Him intimately. You can know Him intimately. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 in the message paraphrase says this, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one, capital O, talking about Jesus, who invited us to God. Reason why you can know Him intimately, or one of the reasons, is because He knows you intimately. He doesn't know just about you, He knows you. Psalm 139, I won't have time to read it all, but see if you catch the heart of it. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit where can I flee from your presence if I go up to the heavens you're there and if I make my bed in the depths you're there and if I rise on the wings of the dawn or if I settle on the far side of the sea even there your hand will guide me God knows you reason why that's significant to us is that it means that you don't have to pretend when it comes to God Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about when you put your plastic smile on. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe for you, when you go to work, you kind of have to take a breath and, and, and take on some kind of persona before you actually walk out of, you know, get out of the car and walk into the office. Maybe for you, it's like church. Maybe in your family, you feel like you have to pretend or perform. Listen, when it comes to the presence of God, He knows you with the mask and without the mask. Now, it might initially, right? It might initially evoke a little bit of fear, like, whoa, I don't know if anybody really knows me like that. Ultimately, when you know what He did for you, despite knowing you intimately, it means you can go, oh. You know what I'm saying? Like if you've held your stomach in for a photograph. Oh, oh, wasting away, yeah? Wasting away. And then they've taken the photograph and you're like, that moment is like, oh, that's the presence of God right there. He knows you. So you don't have to pretend, but also you don't have to be ashamed. Because not pretending is one thing, but if you're kind of true to yourself, but don't like that, then, then that might evoke some kind of shame. The reason why you pretend is because you are ashamed. But the Bible says this in Romans chapter five, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, like the worst of the worst. He knows your thoughts, your, your, your secret desire. Like he knows all that. And yet while we were still BC, he died for us. 
So we don't have to pretend and we don't have to be ashamed. That's Four things it takes time to get to know someone. Salvation is the start line, not the finish line. We're doing this pathway series because you could have been walking with God for 50 years. And I want to declare to you is that God has still got more for you. You could be right at the beginning of your journey and feel intimidated by all the people around you who seem to know God personally. Well, there's a path marked out for you and it starts with knowing Him. It starts, continues and ends with knowing Him. The Bible says when we get to heaven, we'll see even clearly. Like now it's a little bit murky and a little bit misty. So this is not a checklist like, oh yeah, know God, done it, completed it, mate. No, 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 you've not completed it. This is a journey of knowing God. There's always more to know. That's the fifth thing. Isaiah 9 verse 7 says this, of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Think about that for a minute. His increase has no end. Every time you know more about God, you discover there's more to know about God. Just when you think you've explored it, it's like when you're walking up a mountain and you get to the top and you're like, oh, that's not the top, that's the top. Like a computer game where you get through to the final level and then you're like, what, there's a doorway into another room and another room and another room and another room. That's what knowing God is like. So the first step of four, as we said before, know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. The first one is knowing God. They're in this order on purpose. It's not just a random order and you can take your pick because actually God wants you to find freedom, but you can't find freedom without knowing God. You can try and let's face it, many of us do. We try and find freedom, relief, soothe like a soothing from pain like we try and find this in so much other stuff but I want to talk to those of you in the room today who already are on that journey of knowing God but actually highlight to you the possibility that you are not living free let's go back to those verses in Exodus, where God says, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out so that you can know Him from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And then it says, separate to bringing you out from slavery, it says, I will free you from being slaves to them. It's a strange way to put it. But I think it's because God understands to get a person out of slavery is one thing but to get slavery out of them is a whole different ballgame. Imagine with me for a moment that you are trapped, bound by chains in an old school dungeon. I'm talking dark, damp, rats scurrying around on the ground, people coughing, people in pain, and you're chained to the wall. There's bars on the windows. There's a big gate big gate stopping you from getting out and you got no power whatsoever to get out but then Jesus comes along and the cross represents Him kicking in the gate walking over to you tearing the chains out of the wall and saying you are free 
But for so many people, we spend time, even though freedom is there, it's all around us, we actually choose to stay in a prison. God paid the price for our freedom, but He actually won't force it on us. We actually need to make some choices to be able to get up and walk in freedom. Three things about finding freedom. Number one, you can be free, but not live free. You can be free, but not live free. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ set us free. It's an unusual way to phrase it, but I think it's because God knows again and understands that there's a difference between being free and living free. Christ has bought you out, like in Exodus, He's saying, I took you out of slavery. He's talking about that slave to sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, but that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died, metaphorically, that's us, we have been set free from sin. Second thing about freedom, which makes this first one so important is that some prisons are invisible. We know there's actual prisons. There's one just half a mile up the road and it stands out like, a, like on, the, on the horizon. You can see the, the prison. But reality is a lot of us live in invisible prisons. Christ paid the price for you. He took you from before Christ to in Christ and yet many of us remain in a prison called poverty. We remain in a prison called addiction. We may remain in a prison called, like you fill in the blanks. There are many habits and behaviours and ways of living that are not fitting for a free person. But the reality is, there's something about the strangely familiar comfort of a prison that is preferential to the intimidation and unknown of freedom. That's why people in society become institutionalised. And we can't understand it when someone would prefer to be locked up or in hospital or in some kind of, we can't understand how that makes sense, but it's because you and I have maybe not become conditioned in the way that those kinds of people have. Pastor Glynn told us a story. In recent years, I'm sure some of you will remember it, but let me summarise to you to help make this point. It's a story about an elephant. There was a young boy who went to the circus and his favourite thing at the circus was the elephants. These huge creatures compared to him, just like a 10, 50, 100 times his size with great strength and the ability to, 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 to crush things and snap things. And 
the performance was kind of celebrating the elephant's strength and afterwards he was able to go back kind of in the animal enclosure area with his father and he noticed these huge creatures that had been showing off their strength but he was troubled by the fact that they were held by a simple rope to a stake in the ground. And he said, Dad, what? Like surely the elephant, like we've seen their strength. Why doesn't he just like snap the rope? The elephant keeper said, well, what you have to understand is that when the elephant was born and had little strength, we tied a rope round his leg then and it actually could hold him back because he was just learning to walk and just gaining his strength. But what's happened is over time, as the elephant has grown on the inside and has the power to snap the rope, he would just never consider it because he's been conditioned in his mind that this is more powerful than me. This is as far as I can go from that point. This is all I have, have ever experienced and all I ever will experience. And so chooses a life within a few meter circle of the stake in the ground, unknown to him that he could just snap it in a moment. And that is a picture of what it's like for me and you. Sometimes we forget or don't connect with the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us. That we have the ability with the Holy Spirit's help to live free. But our pain has become so familiar to us that we actually, maybe we wouldn't do it consciously, but like subconsciously, we would prefer that to the unknown. Because at least with my pain and my past and my restriction, at least I know, like I, I know what I'm getting. It's not as good as others and that's fine, but like this is my lot, but that is a lie from the actual devil. The Bible describes him as the father of lies. In other words, his, his language, he, he, like his native tongue, he speaks lies and he's been telling people in this room for too long that that thing that you can't stop doing well, that's at least, at least you know it. That place where you feel like you can't stop going, that thing that you can't stop doing, that feeling that has become so familiar to you that it's actually become a prison. And you can walk around freely and go to work and go to church and join in the songs, but you are in an invisible prison. The third thing about freedom, finding freedom, is that you can be free from cycles or patterns of behaviour. Let me show you quickly a journey. It's not on the slide, so you have to go with me for a second. From thinking something to actually being that thing and how easy it is to get caught in a negative cycle that starts with a thought. And I would declare to you that that thought is a lie from the enemy. A thought when you ruminate, which means like, chew over, think over, rehearse in your mind, agree with, line up with in your heart and mind, goes from a thought to a feeling. It starts to sort of own you a little bit. It's not just a fleeting thought that came and went. It's like, I keep coming back to that and actually goes from just a thought to a feeling. And that feeling can be painful. And what happens with that feeling is, is it leads to a desire because you want to soothe the pain of that feeling. And so you then want to do something, go somewhere, say something, be somewhere, because you think 
that it will soothe that pain. Then you give in to temptation and you do that thing, say that thing, go that place again. And when that action is repeated, it's not just an action, what you do, it's actually who you are. And so the thought that, that was a lie, you then live. And you were never meant to live that way. And the way I know that is because there is something more powerful than your thoughts. It's called the Word of God. The Bible says in the New Testament that we are to take thought captive. Anything that sets itself up, in other words, it's not in line with the Word of God, that sets itself up against the will of God and the purpose of God, we can take it captive and make it subservient. We can make it submit to the truth of the Word of God. You can't always help what you think. That initial part of the process, it just comes in your mind. I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it's external, maybe it's internal, maybe it's the enemy. But what you can do is take it captive in that moment and say, that's not from God. And here's the thing, the Bible, the best way to do it, the best way to do it, it's not positive thinking. It's not like I'm just going to try and be more positive. I'm just going to try and not do that thing. The best way to do it is replace that thought with a verse of Scripture. You don't have to be creative or try and think of something that rhymes. You just open the book and go, that sounds like a lie to me. Let me just put some truth in there. I am a child of God. I am the head and not the tail. And if you're going to ruminate on anything, chew on that. Chew on that. And you can look the devil square in the eyes and say, chew on that, mate. Because then what you'll be doing is that feeling that will, will develop. Remember, thought, feeling, desire, act, be. You will have a thought, you'll replace, replace, it, replace it with the Word of God and then you will start to feel like a child of God. And that will lead to a desire to say, I'm going to live like a child of God. Then you're going to do it. And then you will literally be living as a child of God. Come on, everyone in the room, stand to your feet. I want to create an opportunity for every single person in the room this afternoon to actually make a choice to get up out of the prison cell to get up out of the, the cell, the dungeon. The Christ has already kicked the door in. It's already taken the chains off. But yet for many of us, we're choosing to live in a way that you know in your heart is not God's will. I'm talking about next time you're bored, lonely, angry, stressed or tired, you will not do that thing again. I'm talking about next time you're sad or offended, instead of soothing that pain with some kind of substance or some kind of behaviour that not only doesn't line up with God, is taking you in a completely destructive direction. I'm talking about 
breaking an addiction to porn. I'm talking about breaking an addiction to substances. I'm talking about breaking the habit of insecurity and trying to pull other people down because it makes you feel better. I'm talking about breaking that in your life so that you can live in the freedom. The more we know God, the greater our ability to live in the freedom that He paid for on the cross. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. 